Well, well, good morning, good morning. Welcome, everybody, to Unraveling the Words of Yahweh. My name is Kevin Eitner. So glad to have you tuning in this morning. Oh, mercy sakes. Hey, we're in this book of Revelation, and uh, we've been, uh, well, we've been spending a little bit of time here in this chapter, chapter 9, on this abyss, and especially the locust army. And, and the reasoning why I'm spending so much time here, maybe, is because this is vital. This is very important information. And you got to let this sink in. This is a reality. There are supernatural entities getting ready to be unleashed. Now, thanks be to Yahweh through Yeshua Messiah. Those of us that are sealed with the gospel of Yeshua Messiah in our foreheads, we are protected. But those that do are not sealed, de de deny the gospel. They're, you know, atheist. What's an atheist? Well, to me, an atheist is somebody that denies Yeshua Messiah's presence on this earth as the son of Yahweh. And it, it doesn't matter. I call it what it is. That's what the Bible says. Who is an antichrist? Look it up there in the, in the epistles of John. Who's an antichrist? Those that deny Yeshua Messiah. Are Jews antichrist? Believers in Judaism? Kabbalists? Yep. Sorry about your luck, Bubba. Yes, you are. They're antichrist. They're, they're a type, is what in the, in the epistles of John. The, the very same John that wrote the epistles wrote this, the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah. And that's what I like to call it because it, it, it's the coming or the message um, uh, revealing of when, when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes. And there's no doubt about it that John, he, he wrote this somewhere uh, between 95 to 97 AD in, in my personal research. Now, in our last study, we were unraveling this verse 7. You remember there in verse 7, it read, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. So, we we said here, their faces look like the faces of men. Uh, this also suggests that these superhuman evil creatures are intelligent beings capable of facial expression, which only adds to the menacing horror of what they have looked like. Now, these are not ordinary locusts, folks. There's an Arabic proverb that says that a locust has the head of a horse, the chest of a lion, the feet of a camel, the body of a serpent, and an antennae like the hair of a woman. Each of these items in the description is grounded in the Old Testament and the literature of the Second Temple Judaism. Like other crowns in Revelation, these golden crowns refer to the power that are given to the rule for five months. And we talked about that five months from May through September. And it takes you right up to Yahweh's fall feast. We've got trumpets, atonements, and tabernacles. Now, long hair does, does not mean that these creatures are feminine, by the way. You see, Samson and Absalom were both known for their strength, yet they had long hair. The important difference is the hair is that it's wild. There's a, a, a scholar, D.C. Dooling, suggests wild hair was a characteristic Medusia and is found in the Aramic Incation bulls depicting the demon Lilith with unkept hair. Now, when you get into uh, the Zohar, and you read the Zohar there in Genesis. The Zohar says that Adam's first wife was Lilith, by the way. Now, both the Testament of Solomon, that's to say the Testament of Solomon is a second temple period catalog of demons. The text includes names, the illness associated with a demon, the methods for casting demons out of afflicted person, the apocalypse of Zephaniah, now, this is a fragmentary piece of apocalyptic literature. It's a study of the book is hindered by missing sections. 
they talk about demons with wild, disheveled hair. Matter of fact, this is why I, I love these writings. These, these lost books, these lost fragments, sometimes they fill in the blanks. It's really interesting. In the Testament of Solomon 13.1, Then I ordered another demon to appear before me. There came before me one who had the shape of a woman, but she possessed as one of her traits the form of one with disheveled hair, wild hair, roughly hair, unkept hair. You see, John was aware of these writings. In the Apocrypha of Zephaniah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he writes, Then I walked with the angel of the Lord, I looked before me. I saw a place there. Thousands of thousands of myriads of myriads of angels entered through it. Their faces were like a leopard, their tusks being outside their mouth like the wild boars. Their eyes were mixed with blood. Their hair was loose like the hair of a woman, and fiery scourges were in their hands. Let's stick with the Apocrypha there in Zephaniah, chapter 6, 8. That same instant, I stood up. I saw a great angel before me. His hair spread out like blindness. His teeth were outside his mouth like a bear. His hair was spread out like a woman's. His body was like the serpent's when he wished to swallow me. You see... Teeth like iron are perivial for something irresistibly and fatally destructive. And their breastplates of iron, simply invincibility. Folks, these demonic locust scorpions are given the power to torment people for five months. Although their sting is painful, the stings of a scorpion in Judea are not usually fatal to humans. These locusts with scorpion tails are only allowed to torment people for five months, but not to kill them. Why? We have to ask ourselves, why five months? It's often observed that the normal lifespan of a locust is five months. The dry season in Palestine is also about five months, the months that are most likely to experience a locust plague. The time limit is an indication that it's not just a capricious torment, but a punishment with definite limits. It's a warning to the earth, as are the other trumpets. Once again, when are locusts present? May through September. When you actually go in and you look at the Hebrew calendar, you can actually say that these locusts of army are present from the Feast of Pentecost. Right up. To the Feast of Trumpets. Folks, I personally believe. I do a study on the seven. The seven uh, uh, holy days. Holy feasts that Yahweh set up. In, his, in the Bible, in the scriptures. You got four in the spring. You got three in the fall. We know through Bible prophecy. That the four in the spring. Have already been fulfilled. What we're waiting for are the three in the fall to take place. That's the trumpets. Folks, if you take it and you look at it, you actually study this. When you when we get into that uh, uh, chapter 11 and the uh, resurrection of the two witnesses and the last trumpet. You see, when that last trumpet sounds, that's when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns at that trumpet sound. And folks, you better make yourself right with Yahweh. You better make yourself atonement. Because after that seventh trumpet, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our true tabernacle, will come and fetch his bride, his church, his ecclesia, those that are sealed. You know, people will beg Yahweh to kill them. But they won't be able to die. This is similar to the description given by Pliny in the eruption of uh, Vesvius. People bewailed their own fate or that of their relatives. 
and there were some who prayed for death in the terror of dying. That's how bad it's going to get. Now keep in mind, who are the ones begging to die? The globalists, the ones that walk in the darkness, the liberals here in America. Those that do not know Yeshua Messiah as their personal savior. The Kabbalists. In the Apocrypha of Elijah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, this is what he says. They will desire death, but death will flee from them. They will climb under rocks and jump down on them and say, fall on us. And they will not die, but death runs away from them. The people tormented by these demonic beings want to die in order to escape the plague. But all that awaits them is the lake of fire. Before I move on to verse 8, allow me to expand somewhat on this bottomless pit. In the opening of our last study, we concluded that Revelation 9, the abyss of the, the bottomless pit, is a source of demonic, locust-like creatures. Now, I'm not sure, pretty sure the churches don't teach this kind of stuff. I want to talk to you about a city real quick here that's located in northern Syria, near its current borders with Turkey and Iraq. You see, these are all enemies of Israel, of Christians. This city is ancient Yorkish. Ancient Yorkish was once a major hub of the ancient Near Eastern Hurin civilization, known in mythology as the home of the primordial god. Little was known about Yorkish and the mysterious Hurin civilization, as the ancient city had remained buried beneath desert sands for thousands of years, lost to the pages of history. However, in the 1980s, archaeologists discovered Tel Mozan, a towering mound that hid the remains of the ancient palace, temple, and plaza. A decade later, researchers made an exciting uh, realization that Tel Mozan was the lost city of Yorkish. Now, why do I make mention of this, this city? Well, this is a good question. Why in the world are you going into such detail? Good question. Listen very carefully. Keep in mind, we're talking about the abyss. We're talking about the bombless pit in here in Revelation chapter 9. Is it a reality? It sure is. Listen up. The central feature of the temple of Yorkish was not a chapel or a sanctuary, a place set apart for prayer and meditation, or even a meeting hall for communal worship. Listen very carefully now. The temple of Yorkish was a deep pit dug into the earth used to summon deities from the neither world including the chief god of the, the Irans Kumarbi entities summoned from the dark earth were offered sacrifices in exchange for favors often carrying some kind of evil back to the world below it is known for the later ritual text found at Hattusa the capital of the Hittite Empire, that this pit was called an Abai. Its distinctly Uranian religious structure, unlike anything in southern Mesopotamia and not connected to the well-known Amorite Kisbim ritual. To be clear, spirits of the dead do not freely roam the earth. Human spirits do not hang around waiting to appear when summoned through the correct rituals, communicating with the mediums or intercede for the living in the natural realm. Now, Yahweh may allow human spirits to return to earth for his purposes. 1 Samuel chapter 28 tells the story of the prophet Samuel, who delivered this disturbing news to Saul that he and his sons would fall in the coming battle with the Philistines. But nothing in scripture even hints that this is a regular occurrence. Indeed, the medium Saul consulted was shocked when the prophet appeared. Matter of fact, it reads, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. The Hebrew word translated in English as cried out is zakwa. Conveys the sense of shouting with alarm or calling for help. In other words, the witch or the medium of indoor 
expected to see a spirit, but not a human spirit. Similarly, the Ewan rituals preserved by the Hittites were used to summon spirit beings rather than humans. Rituals in the Abai were performed at sunset or at night inside a magic circle dug into the dirt of the pit with a hoe or a shovel or traced with a pin, knife, or a dagger. This is remarkably similar to modern occult rituals in which magicians use a magic circle. Alex Crawley, you all know about Alex Crawley? Sometimes drawn with salt or chalk to protect themselves from the spirit being summoned. Similar practices were known as akide, where a magic circle called zizura was marked out with flour to protect one against demon or curses. I don't understand this. Why would you call these demons up but make us put yourself inside a circle to protect you from these demons? This is what's so great about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can call on him with no fear. We don't need no circle to protect us from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, you see the power behind this? The purpose of the ritual pit was to allow the ancient gods or former gods to rise from the netherworld drawn to the sacrifices to hear the plea of the, the officiant. Wow. Among other infernal deities summoned in the round, Abiah rituals was a personified Abiah himself. This seems odd. Contrary to our concept of pagan gods of the ancient world as anthropomorphic, or at least semi-human-like satars and centaurs, but a ritual pit as a god, scholar Billy Jean Collins explains that the inclusion of the Abai among the underworld deities is not a testimony to his divine status in the proper sense, as it is recognition of its extra human power to connect to the realm of the gods within that man. And remember that Hades was both a place and an underworld deity, so this isn't an un familiar concept. In short, the Abbey was an underground portal to the Nile world. The discoveries at Yorkish connected the Iranian religious rituals from western Syria and Sectan Turkey or Central Turkey as late as 1200 BC, with a monument religious center constructed in northeastern Syria more than 2,000 years old. You see, folks, this is a reality. Could this be the place where Yahweh allows the fallen angel or star to come? Just asking. Is it plausible that since evil man sought out these demonic supernatural beings, that Yahweh decided to use these supernatural beings against evil man for their punishment? Just something to think about. This is why we unravel this stuff. This is why I bring this stuff to you, to show you that this is the reality. These places, ex they existed. They actually existed. You hear me talk about positive and negatives. Well, what we read here in chapter 9 is the positive side of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, yeah, he's going to seek out these locuses, these supernatural entities. But he's going to come after to those that worship them. Ain't it interesting that our true Messiah, our true King, we seek Him out for peace, harmony, lightness. They're seeking out for death. Before I go any further, as we talk about this neither world, you heard me repeatedly over the years talk about this. Washington, D.C., Washington Monument, the Capitol, the Dome, Lady Columbia, ISIS, the Washington Monument is a phallus. That dome where they lay the presidents and very important generals or whatever, that's the belly of the woman. The Washington Monument is calling up under the, 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 the demonic, the demonic spirits of the underworld, the neither world. 
And the way this works, this is the way these individuals uh, look. And you check me out. Check me out on this. When, when, when a president lies in the Capitol under this dome, under the belly of Lady Columbia, which is ISIS, the spirits of the underworld, they go up through the Washington Monument, this phallus, spiritually speaking, and it, and it, it sends energy over to Lady Columbia. Lady Columbia, she inhales this energy down through her body, down into her womb, to the individual laying there in that casket. This is what they believe, folks. Now, to you and I, it might sound ludicrous, but they believe this. Well, well, Kevin, you, you're crazy. No, no. Don't you understand the reality of this? There are people throughout the world that actually believe in this darkness. Now, let me ask you something. Just this year, we had, did you hear about this? Just this year, we had the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, England on July 28th. Have you heard about the opening ceremonies to these games? I want to share with you three different articles on this. Out of the Harbinger's Daily, this is the headlines. Baal worship resurrected. Massive celebration of globalism shows Satanists are no longer hiding in the shadows. The article is by Jan Markle. I often write articles titled, I never thought I would see the day. Well, the resurrection of the ancient Baal, along with literal Baal worship, was a scene you had to see to believe. They aren't even trying to hide it anymore, she says. During the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, England on July 28th, a giant mechanical bull with glowing red eyes was rolled out of the center of Alexander Stadium. A total of 72 nations participated in the Commonwealth Games. And so this opening ceremony was being viewed on countless television screens all over the planet. The hero of the opening ceremony was a character known as Stella. Calm the creature down, and then all the human performers gathered around the giant bull and literally began to bow down and worship it. The symbolism in this ritual was well planned in advance. The organizers knew exactly what they were doing, but they were also counting the fact that the vast majority of the general population would not con consistently catch on with the actual taking place. Folks, when you see the video on this, these are Satanists. The bull has always been a symbol of ancient deity from the Middle East known as Baal. In this presentation, the arena was staged with what looked like a ring of lava around the arena. Smoke and fire bellowed from the bull. It is clear that the Satanists are no longer hiding in shadows, but openly giving homage to Satan in rituals on natural TV. Did you hear your minister talk about this? Black Sabbath performs. Could it be inner clear? And it was being reported that the music from Black Sabbath was being played on the Colossal Beast was being brought out. You had to, when you watch this, when you watch the woman, this Stella, Stella's riding the beast. Well, the woman rides the beast. After the bull was calmed down at one point, three women are lifted up to ride on top of the bull. Was this symbolic of the words of Revelation chapter 17? The spectacle was loved by the global elite, it says here in this article. In this other article here by Prophecy Today, United Kingdom. Baal worship in plain sight. And guess who, guess who oversaw all this? You know who overseen all this? King Charles. King Charles seen all this. When, when you look at that and you, you watch the video of this, this is what, this is some of the things that were, were presented. The BBC's official commentary speaking of the elevated stage structure at Birmingham Tower of Babel. 
scary music ever sending forth. One clip was from Black Sabbath. The focus of the Tower of Babel was a source of fire and healing. Object levitating in a darkened room. Cross-dressing singers suspended from heavens, some like a demigod. The acknowledgement of the Holy Quran to draw all recognition of the spiritual adherence of the different culture attendees. Not one mention of one true God or Birmingham's century-long Christian heritage. Not one. Confusing ritual displays with the bizarre chanting, including, for example, a werewolf-type figure, a giant slug bean, pulled back by black demons. Another article. Bail worship. Mass satanic ritual at the 2022 Commonwealth Games opening ceremonies. I watched the video. It's a disgrace. Worshiping these demonics. And this article here in the case the ceremony happened to include the worship of Baal, the satanic bullhead, Canaanite deity. The practice of ceremonial magic at the events with thousands of people tuning in from all over the world is to literally evoke or call upon the spirit world. And like I said, the so-called King Charles, he was one of them. He was one of them. Where were the churches at? Did, I haven't heard anybody talk against this. Have you? Where were the ministers standing at? Where were they at? Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of another gods, even that prophet shall die. And if they say in that heart, how should we know the word which Yahweh hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of Yahweh, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which Yahweh hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken, and presumptuously thou shalt not be afraid of him. Ezekiel chapter 13, 9, verse 9, And in my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity, and that divine lies. They shall not be the assembly of my people, Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. Ye shall know that I am Yahweh Elohim. One more verse. Let me go to Jeremiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. Then Yahweh said unto me, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not. Neither I have commanded them. Neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you false vision and divination, a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. Thus saith Yahweh concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, I sent them not. Yet they say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they shall have none to bury them, them, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. Did you understand that? You thumb-sucking, pew-warming Christians, and the people to whom they prophesied shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine in the sword, and they shall have none to bury them, them, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour out the wickedness upon them. Therefore thou shalt say this word unto them, Let my eyes run down with tears night and day. Let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach, with a very grievous blow. You see, folks, and I can go on with more and more scriptures. 
Are the churches speaking out of this today? No. In Deuteronomy, let me read Deuteronomy chapter 16. Listen very carefully. You, you wonder why I'm so hard on the politicians and so forth. This is what it reads in Deuteronomy. I'm going to pick it up chapter 16, verses 18, 19, and 20. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which Yahweh thy Eliahim giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift or a bribe, for a gift or bribe doth blind the eyes of the wise, pervert the words of righteous. That which is altogether shall just thou follow, that thou mayest livest, and inherit the land which Yahweh thy Elohim giveth thee. Why aren't the churches speaking out against this? Where are they at? Say it, folks. It's say it. Verse 8 here in Revelation chapter 9. And they had hair as the hair of a woman, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, wearing long, flooring, flowing hair, seeming very gentle, kind, which would be in that day long and flowing hair. But no doubt, this will be a look like, well, not one of beauty and grace, but wild, unkept, filthy, adding to the ghastliness of these creatures. I believe that this is even a reminiscence of the of the Lord's description of the the, Pers, uh, the Persian horde there in Jeremiah chapter fifty one verse twenty seven, the horde that we bring up the Babylonians. Here we read. I'm gonna pick it up. Jeremiah chapter fifty one, verse twenty four. I will render under Babylon, and to and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea. All their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith Yahweh. Behold, I'm against thee, O destroying mountain, saith Yahweh, which destroyeth all the earth. I will stretch out my hand upon thee, roll thee down from the rocks, will make thee a burnt mountain. And they shall not take of thee a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but thou shalt be desolate forever, saith Yahweh. Who is our chief cornerstone, by the way? Yeshua Messiah. Verse 27. Set ye up a standard in the land. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations against her. Call together against her kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, Ashkenaz. Appoint a captain against her. Cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. Now. In the Hebrew manuscripts, the word caterpillar is actually ye lick. It's from unused root meaning lick up, a devour, specifically a young locust. So these creatures have some kind of long hair on them. Teeth, a teeth of lion. This probably signifies fierceness, tearing, ripping, ripping you as a, a, lung, as a lion does. Obviously, a description can only be made when a creature opens its mouth and snarls or growls in such a way to reveal its teeth. These these demons are, are evil, folks, but not to you and I. Let's not get confused. Because, see, you and I, we are sealed. Or, or I'm praying that you are sealed. You got that seal. Remember we talked about that seal back here. Let me go back in case there's any new listeners here. Back in there in the Gospel of John. Very, very important. We, this, this is what it's all about. See, You see, folks, we know it's coming. We, we, can't, we can't stop it. All right? We can't stop it. But what we can do is we can reach out to those souls. And we can help those souls. And we know for a fact 
that that's our job is to save souls, to get out there and save the souls. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 33, listen to what he says. Well, let me go up to verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. Do you understand that? Not from the nigh of the world, from above. He that is of the earth is earthly, speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he hath testified, and no man received his testimony. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that Yahweh is true. You see that, folks? By believing. By believing, folks, in the gospel of Yeshua Messiah, that he walked amongst man, knew no sin, defeated death, the Savior of mankind, the reality, the Son of Yahweh, Eth, there in the Hebrew, Alpha Omega, there in the Greek. This is what we're dealing with, folks. You know, we can't stop this locust army. It's coming. But what you and I can do right now, we can go out and we can open the eyes up to those that walk in darkness. We can bring them into the light of the gospel of Yeshua Messiah. We can save them souls before it's too late. All those entertainers at them Commonwealth Games, oh, Lord have mercy on their souls. King Charles, you're doomed. You're doomed. You had your wife killed. We know you had Camilla killed. We know that you're part of the, the globalists. I know all about King Charles, who he is. Statue down, I believe it's in Bolivia. The Messiah of the world, the, the Prince Charles. Evil. Very evil, folks. Very evil. Verse 9. And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. I'm telling you what. This locust army, they're furious, folks. Breastplates of breastplates of iron. There was something that seemed like an army clad in iron coats of mail. Keep in mind that these breastplates are not the priest, but of a type of an armor. Again, this is a reminisce of the power portrayed by the Roman legions with their armor and even the Roman war horse. The idea here is no weapon of man will be able to defeat this demonic horde. We can't defeat them. They're supernatural, folks. But this is what John's seen. Keep, keep in mind, John can only write down the visions, what he has in his surrounding areas. The sound of the wings. They, they gave a sound like a rushing of chariots and horses rushing to battle. Evidently, John must have seen this. John must have seen this down, maybe in Jerusalem. When they attacked Jerusalem, the Roman army. They're hanging weapons, military trappings, with the clangor of their shields and swords when they make fierce onsets. John written all this. You know, this, this this figure of speech here is borrowed from Joel chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. We covered the, that chapter 2 of the book of Joel. He says here, John says here in verse 10, And they had tails like under scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Once again, five months. They had scorpion tails, and there and there were stings. There is no oldest manuscript for this reading. Matter of fact, the manuscripts A, B, and Alf, Syriac, even the Coptic, they all read, and they have stings in their tails. Their power, literally, authority, authorized power is to hurt. That's what he's talking about here. The power, the, the authority to hurt. This made the locusts which appeared to John the more remarkable. For though the picture may 
may image a resemblance between the tail of a locust and a scorpion, yet the locust is a properly no sting. The only thing which they resembling a sting is a hard, bony substance like a needle, which the female punctures the bark of the wooded trees in order to deposit her eggs. Here's the description of the most frightening weapon, the stinger. Do you realize of the 1,500 species of scorpions that exist in the world today, only about 50 species produce enough venom to cause serious effects in humans. But out of those 50, 25 species pose a serious lethal risk to human beings, accounting for thousands of deaths a year worldwide. In fact, 10 times as many as snake bites, and they live mainly in North Africa and in the Middle East, South America, and Mexico. And they produce systematic effects in human beings such as vomiting, cramps, blurred vision, sensitivity to light, hypersalvation, or uh, saliva, uh, salivation, difficulty swallowing, agitation, and so forth. But their power was to hurt men. No primary to kill people, but to inflict on them various kinds of tortures. The word used here, adikesia, is rendered to hurt. Is different from the, the word in verse 5. There were reads, uh, a batha antithesis, rendered should be tormented. The word properly means to do wrong, to do unjustly, to injure, to hurt. The two words would seem to convey the idea that they were produced distress by doing wrong to others or by deeding unjustly with them. Keep in mind that if these men of verse of this verse and the, and the second of they, of verse 5, are those that are unsealed. We're not talking about Yahweh's saints. Once again, John alludes to the fact 5. Keep in mind that the locusts are present in the summer months, May through September. Never forget that. And here, dear brother and sister, listen up closely. The Lord tells us that the sting of these demonic creatures will, according to verse 5, be like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So some, somehow the sting of these locust-like demons will produce the same type of systematic types that I just mentioned that would certainly fall within the category of what John describes here as torment. Men will want to die, but death will flee from them. Verse 11 here, listen up. And they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. And according to what we read there about Yerkish, it was Abai. They had a king over them, a ruler, possibly an antichrist, who marshaled their host. Locusts often and indeed generally move in bands though they do not appear to be under the direction of anyone as particular ruler or guide. In this case, it struck John as remarkable peculiarly that they had a king, a king who would seem had absolute control and to whom was to be traced all the destruction which would ensue from the emerging from this bombless pit. Can we clue that maybe it's one of Satan's demonic evil angels to be this king? I just ask him which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Remember, we discussed this in verse 1. The word angel here referred to the, the chief of the evil angels who presided over the dark and gloomy regions from where the locusts seemed to emerge. This may either mean that this evil angel seemed to command them personally or that the spirit was infused in the leader of the host, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. The name of Baddon literally means destruction. But in the Greek tongue, Apollyon. Huh. Apollo. Do you ever figure that out? Apollo. To destroy. The word properly denotes a destroyer. The name is given to this king of the host represented by the locust because this would be his principal characteristic. 
he's out to destroy. Destroy souls. It's a special characteristic of ordinary earthbound locusts. They have a king. They have no king. They're in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27. But these awful beings from the abyss have a king. It is beside the point to say their king is Satan. For his special name is given. The wild beast is twice described as coming up out of the bottomless pit. The name is evidently important as it's given in two languages. They are equivalent as to their meaning, which is destruction. It is literally the name of the bottomless pit in Hebrew. It's distinguished from the Sheol. The name of the pit is given to the angels of the pit means destroyer. Hence his name is in Jeremiah chapter 4, chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 16. Daniel chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11. We can read about this. The last line of John's description of demonic locusts rising from the bottomless pit refers to their king. Abaddon, in Hebrew, Apollyon in Greek. Once again, both words mean destroyer. Although Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27 states, the locusts have no king, there is a reference to the king of locusts in the Septuagint, Amos chapter 7, verse 1. The Hebrew reads, after the king's mowing. Although the translating the final three words of chapter Amos chapter 7 verse 1 is difficult since the Hebrew word is rare. The Septuagint's translation of Amos chapter 7 verse 1 is considerably different from the Hebrew Bible. It reads, Thus the Lord Yahweh showed me, and look, the offspring of the locusts is coming early, and look, one locust is Agog, the king. The name Agog is associated with the Amalekites. There in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul was commanded to attack Agog, the king of the Amalekites. This translation understands the Greek Gog as Agog. Did you know that? The Septuagint translates this as Gog their king. It is likely the translator read the Hebrew word as Gog. The same confusion appears in the Septuagint of the Numbers, chapter 20, verse 4, 7. The king is Agog, but the Septuagint has Gog. So we find this. We actually find this. The name Abaddon, by the way, appears only here in Revelation. Although the word Abaddon is found in the Hebrew Bible a few times, with reference to the abode of the dead, in parallel with Sheol. They're in Job chapter 26, Proverbs chapter 15. In fact, in Job chapter 31, it's a location, a fire that consumes as far as Ab Abaddon. The name is, in found, is found in several fragments uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I want to share with you in this one fragment, it says, I thank you, Lord, because you saved my life from the pit and from the Sheol of Abaddon. Have lifted me up into everlasting height so that I can walk on a boundless plain. And another fragment, the torrents of Baal break into Abaddon. The schemers of the deep howl of the din of the distracting mud. And another fragment, and when they rush forth, Sheol and Abaddon are open. All the arrows of the pit make their voice heard, while going down to the abyss, the gates of Sheol, open for all the deeds of the serpent. In this last fragment, it reads, The earth and all its schemers, the great abyss, Abaddon, the water, and all that there is in it, all its creatures, always for centuries. centuries. Amen and amen. So there's a lot of proof out there to show you 
that this Abaddon, it's a reality. It's a realization. In Revelation chapter 9, just verse 11, Abaddon is not a location, but rather the king of the locusts. In Greek, the name the, the name is Ab- uh, Apollyon, the destroyer. The Greek word is related to the word Abaddon, to destroy, but also the name Apollyon. Now, there's a scholar out there, David Anun, suggests an allusion to Nero, since he claimed to be Apollo and was identified with Baal in some of the early Jewish literature. So we see here that Abaddon and Apollyon is associated with the Egyptian plagues would be consistent with the first four trumpets, which also alluded to the plagues. Now, John supplies this information about this demonic commander as he typically did in these Gospels as well in Revelation. John has given us enough, enough information. Matter of fact, he says here in verse 12, One woe is past, and behold, there comes two woes more hereafter. In the Greek, hereafter means after these things. Now, I have to agree with Professor Alfred and de Burr that these locusts from the bit referred to judgment about to fall on the ungodly immediately before Yeshua Messiah's second advent. None of the interpretations which regard them as past are satisfactory. In Joel chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's strictly parallel and expressly refers to the day of the Lord, great and very terrible. In Joel chapter 2, verse 10, gives the importance accompanying the day of the Lord, Yahweh's coming, the earth quaking, the heavens trembling, the sun, moon, the stars withdrawing their shining. We read there in Joel chapter 2, verse 18 and 30, 31, 32, also point to the immediately succeeding deliverance of Jerusalem. Compare also the previous last conflict in the valley of Jehoshaphat and the dwelling of Yahweh, thenceforth there in Zion. The awful character of these three woe trumpets is seen from what we are told of the first. The mighty forces of heaven and hell are gathered for one final conflict. We have here some of the outpost work, which gives us an indication of what to follow. From Joel chapter 2, verse 11, we learn that Almighty Yahweh himself will lead on his own great army. Yahweh shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth the word. For the day of Yahweh is great and very terrible, and who can abide in it? You understand that? Who can abide in it? That's what he's asking us. Who can he abide in it? That's what he's asking you. Can you abide in it, folks? Are you able to stand? If you have that sealed, you can. On the other hand, one of Satan's superior officers, the angel of the abyss, Abaddon, leads forth a great division, forms part of the satanic force to be brought against the kings of all the kings. All is clear, simple, plain, if we read this as one series of literal judgments, which is to take place on the day of the Lord. As literal and real as were the plagues of Egypt. But the moment we turn to the opinions of men, we are landed, as Alfred says, in an endless babble of allegory and historical interpretation. This is why I I share these writings with you. So you don't fall into that lostness. That you see where John's coming from this. Where he's gathering his information from. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. But see, John understood because he knew about the Yorkish. He knew about the Canaanite Baal worshiping. The very same Canaanite Baal worshiping that took place 
there in Birmingham, England. And the world celebrated. Prince Charles up there just praising it. Or I should say King Charles. How sad it is. How sad it is, folks. The crowns like gold with the turbans of linen. Faces of men means courage. They had hair as a woman. This refers to the horsetail decoration worn by the passions on their heads. You see, folks, it's sad. Truly, it's sad. People will fall for this. Beginning in this chapter, chapter 9, verse 13, we come to the sixth trumpet. Or the second woe. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start this. We'll come back to it in our next study. The sixth or the second woe trumpet is set forth with more detail than any of the other trumpets. No less than 33 verses being devoted to its description. That's right. 33 verses. Like the fifth trumpet or the first well, it is distinguished from the first four by being introduced by a voice. In the former, it was the voice of an eagle flying in the mid-heaven. In this case, it's the voice from the four horns of the golden, the golden altar, which was before Yahweh. Coming from this altar, it seems to say that we have a continuation of of the answer to the prayers of chapter 6, verse 10. You remember those prayers? Let's go back here real quick. And here's the prayers. I'm going to begin here in verse 9. And when he opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of Yahweh. And for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying. How long O Lord. Holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. Now I want you to pay attention once. Because we talked about this being in, in not in chronological order. He opened up the fifth seal. Could we say. That the opening of the fifth seal commenced the fifth and the sixth trumpet. You see, the churches teach you that you got the, the seven seals, and after the seven seals, you got the seven trumpets and then the seven vials. But we found out that's not true. Is it possible that the opening of the fifth seal? The crying out of the saints. We find the answers in the fifth and the sixth trumpet. It's interesting. This goes from chapter 9, verse 13, all the way to chapter 11, verse 14. Coming from the four horns, the direction goes forth to the four quarters of the earth. The literal fulfillment of this judgment, interpreters will not have any price. It's altogether too much to ask to believe in. It's awesome. It is awesome, folks. And we're going to come back to this. I want to close out. Paul. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verse 17 for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Yeshua Messiah Romans 5 17 you see Man's problems 
are a result of the initial relationship with Adam. Yahweh's remedies are found in a new relationship with Yeshua Messiah. As we have seen, all of humanity begins life ruled by a tyrant dictator called death due to their link with Adam. Scriptures reads, by, by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. However, when people become related to Yeshua Messiah through faith, they can increasingly learn to reign in life by a much more grace of Yahweh. You see, this is why it's so important that we have that seal. This is why I take the time. Because we need to go out and seal as many individuals as possible, as many souls. Notice again that Yahweh's remedy for those under the reign of death is twofold. Those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Every Christian has received and has been standing in the gift of righteousness since the day they were justified by faith. That word justified is a legal term. In the Lord. This is the only way that anyone can be accepted by a holy, righteous Yahweh. Yet, having this wonderful gift of imputed righteousness credit to our account in heaven does not automatically bring daily spiritual victory into the life of Yahweh's justified saints. Many Christians, although possessing this gift of righteousness, do not walk daily victory. The reason for the lack of spiritual victory is related to the other aspect of Yahweh's twofold provision, abundant of grace. Many Christians do not characteristically live by receiving Yahweh's grace. Many attempt to live victoriously by merely doing the best that they can by their own human resources. They hope to achieve victory step by step. This will always prove inadequate because the victory must be received from the Lord. Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57, Thanks be to Yahweh who gives us the victory through our Lord Yeshua Messiah. Give and receive is the language of grace which depends upon the work of Yahweh. Earn and achieve is the language of law, which depends upon the work of man. Yeshua Messiah came to man's rescue, filled to overflowing with Yahweh's grace. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. There in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. Now, for those forgiven by grace, there's a victorious life to be lived by the humble dependence upon the abundance of Yahweh's grace available to us through our new relationship with the Lord Yeshua Messiah. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Yeshua Messiah. Dear Heavenly Father, I see that your grace is the resource for living as a Christ-like overcomer, reigning in life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I humble myself before you, admitting my need for your grace. Dear Heavenly Father, I reach out to you in faith, praising you that there is abundance of grace available for such victorious living. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we as the body of believers 
are seeking out that abundance of grace. Overflow us with that grace, Lord, that we're able to go out and share this peaceful gospel with those that live in the darkness, that we can bring them to the light before this locust army overspreads them. Lord, there's still souls to be saved out there, and I believe that that's what you're waiting for, waiting for the church, the Excelsior, your elect, to continue to get those souls saved. I pray for my listeners out there this morning, Father. I pray for their spiritual needs and their physical needs. I pray, Lord, that they know the Lord Yeshua Messiah is their personal Savior. Father, I pray for this nation. As this nation is on a road to disaster, unless we, as you are let, stand up and make a difference. The army's coming, Lord. That locust army is coming. And we are preparing ourselves now to reach out and to save souls. I thank you for that. Fathers, we close this morning. As we come to our Thanksgiving holiday, a lot of people are going to be traveling, Father. I ask in the name of Yeshua Messiah, Lord, that you watch over each and every one of them. Father, you are the potter. We are the pottery. You created us. Watch over us. Protect us, Father. Lord, I thank you for all things. The most important gift that you ever gave mankind was your only begotten Son, the Lord Yeshua Messiah. That he took upon himself our sins. And he redeemed them by the, his own blood there at Calvary's cross. But not only that, Lord. He gave us the victory. He gave us the victory over Satan. Because he defeated death, Father. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. For all that you've done for us. In your precious name of Yeshua Messiah. Amen. Amen.